Votes and Ballots. This is the podcast about elections around the world. With me, Daniel Stefanov. Hello, today's topic goes back to the end of 2020 when the former US President Donald Trump said that there is no way that he lost the election. The election was rigged, he said, in a series of statements which put a very serious dent into one of the main foundations of the American democracy, the public trust in elections and the electoral system. In an attempt to win back some of the lost public uh, trust in uh, elections, a number of so-called post-election audits were made across the country. These were exercises that were meant to check the proper working of the voting machines. I have several questions how these audits uh, were done, how they should be done, and this is the reason why I decided to uh, invite one of the experts in post-election audits, Mr. David Lewin. Okay, now I'm saying hello and welcome to Votes and Ballots podcast to David Levine. Hello, David, welcome. Daniel, it's great to be here with you. I will start uh, with one more general question, but uh, as you're an American and uh, an election expert, I can't miss that opportunity to ask you about the 2020 presidential elections and the so-called stolen election. This is the claim that Trump made after the presidential election. It's not very often that president makes such a attempt to ruin the whole electoral infrastructure by his own country. So I will ask you to describe how you see those events from today's point of view. Daniel, you know, I think that while um, you know the former president was not successful in. Um, maintaining the, you know, in maintaining or, or getting reelected um, to the presidency, uh, his continuous rhetoric, his continuous false rhetoric about the 2020 presidential election continues to hurt the health of U.S. democracy. Uh, in a recent NPR Marist PBS poll, overwhelming majorities of Americans um, expressed real concern with the future of U.S. democracy. Um, and that is uh, inextricably linked to some extent to um, the president's rhetoric and the rhetoric of his supporters. The 2020 election was, was arguably the most secure election that the United States has, has ever had. Um, there were the vast majority of ballots were paper. Um, there were more ballots that were audited than in any previous election. And there were generally pretty strict protocols for how to ensure that those ballots that were cast were subsequently reviewed and certified. And, and yet the president um, has and his supporters have continuously put out false rhetoric uh, in an effort to undermine those efforts. And, and unfortunately, um, the results are evident even today when we continue to see efforts by large percentages of the U.S. population um, to question uh, U.S. election processes even when there's no basis for doing so. Yeah. Uh, so 
the US is uh, kind of a pioneer in the use of uh, technologies in elections uh, with all those different types of uh, voting machines implementing across uh, all the states. What is the, the, the connection between the, the machines in use and, and, and the trust in, in the election process? Do you think that the use of, of technologies, the use of those voting machines, they open uh, some kind of a space for misinformation regarding the integrity of the vote? You know, at the time that the United States began using, you know, increasing amounts of voting technology in its process, that, of course, came on the heels of the 2000 presidential election, when, of course, there were concerns about um, the election results in the, in the, in the state of Florida. Uh, there were concerns about the design of ballots, uh, how voters filled them out, and ultimately how those votes were tabulated, and the impact that that had um, on uh, the selection of, of, of the president uh, for that election. And so at the time that voting technologies were, were introduced in a larger scale, um, there was more attention around how to take um, the manual aspects of the election process and automate them better, right? Um, there were, you know, could machines do a better job of um, counting votes? Um, could the machines do a better job of helping ensure that votes were cast properly? Um, and could we have a process that was more automated and, and, and frankly, quicker? Um, and if we fast forward to today, you know, I, I think where the United States is at right now is that technology can play an important role in making uh, election operations more accurate, efficient, and secure, but with the important caveat that you need proper checks and balances in the system. Where we are now at in the United States is a place where we look for opportunities to utilize technology to improve the accuracy, accessibility, and security of the election, but we try and do it in a, in a manner that doesn't leave us more vulnerable to efforts by malign actors, either foreign and domestic, right, to call those results into question. Okay, here we'll come to the to the main topic uh, of of this uh, episode and the reason why I decided to invite you. It is that you are one of the people, at least uh, people that I've that I've seen, who are mostly uh, professionalized in this post-election uh, audits. Can you tell us more about those audits? How they are done? And then we'll talk about uh, the more specific example that uh, you were publishing lately. So, so post-election audits are a way uh, to be able to validate right, the accuracy um, and security of the election results. As we touched on before in the United States, but also in other parts of the world, um, there's been a, a, an effort to tabulate results often using um, electronic means. Now in the United States, the most common way uh, to tabulate results is through optical scanners. What we know is that when you're talking about counting large numbers of election ballots and results, there's an increasing amount of election research that shows that in fact, um, electronic voting systems can be really effective in counting initially large numbers of ballots, right? Counting large numbers of ballots is a time-intensive exercise. 
that can be quite fatiguing. And I know about that as a previous state and local election official. And that's part of the reason we see an increasing number of places looking to use technology to count the ballots. But it's also important that when we use technology to count the votes, that we have a process in place to check the technology to make sure that there's either been no um, interference or intrusion into those systems by bad actors. And we also want to make sure that there have been just no technical problems with those systems that could possibly impede right, the accurate tabulation of those votes. And so yeah. after yeah. the election results have been tabulated by technology, you know, one of the things that we've increasingly seen is jurisdictions engaging in a process to manually check a portion of those paper ballots. And there are different ways to manually um, count a portion of those paper ballots, but the the primary purposes of doing that are to ensure that the electronic voting equipment has counted the results properly to try and, and if in fact you've counted a statistically significant portion of the ballots, is to ensure that the winners are the winners of a race and the losers of the Mm -hmm. losers. And let me add just one other thing, Daniel. Part of the other reason to do the audits is because after counting the results, if you're to recount all of the ballots after, that can be a very time-intensive process that takes a lot of people, a lot of time, and can cost a lot of money. And so yeah. if, you can, if you can count just a portion of those ballots, that can obviously save some time and money and potentially be more accurate. Okay, this is a measure to increase the confidence in the final result. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like that. Votes and ballots. Here we reach uh, the other point uh, that you are making in a number of uh, publications of yours about one specific um, audit that was made in Arizona. Can you tell us the story about the Arizona audit and why it is so important? The Arizona post-election partisan review was a process that was carried out months after the 2020 election. It was carried out after Arizona election officials not only, right, um, audited their voting equipment to make sure there was no problems, the Arizona election officials also audited a portion of the ballots um, in concert with state law and found no problems with the results there too. And even after the voting equipment was examined and a portion of the paper ballots were examined, you saw the Arizona State Senate embark on another review done by people with no experience administering elections or reviewing election processes, who had a history that showed they very clearly had a bias for who they favored in the 2020 election. And additionally, the group of people that were overseeing this review um, had a history of making false statements about the 2020 election Uh process. They also didn't choose to finalize and put out how they would examine this or how they would review the 2020 results. So there was no procedure. 
No procedure was established in advance. And when they began embarking on a review of the 2020 election results, there were a myriad of problems. Number one, they didn't finalize the procedures, nor did they share the procedures that they had with the public. Number two, many of those procedures were at odds with best practices. We saw folks that were involved in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol that ran in 2020 races that were initially involved in the 2020 election audit. We have documented instances of uh, situations where best security practices for maintaining custody were not followed. Um, and we have instances, right, of, you know, the auditors not making, not being forthright and making their processes equally accessible to everyone. Uh, now, because um, actually this scenario of, uh, in which we have um, technologies uh, at the same time, we have some kind of a uh, distrust in the in the institutions and the elect in the electoral process. Uh, this is not a, an American um, uh, thing only. It's not an American scenario only, um, because we have countries like Iraq, Pakistan, Albania, my home country Bulgaria, where we are more or less uh, walking on the same path. We are, mm -hmm. we are implementing uh, different kinds of technologies at different phases, and this is combined with uh, a significant uh, distrust in the institutions. So now I'll try to, to, to summarize all the important elements uh, for, for an audit. So I'll try to ask you questions. So when we say an audit, we we're talking about a post-election audit and the aim of the audit is not to recount all the ballot papers but just to show that that the technology works uh, well and that the winner is the winner and the loser is the loser is that right that's that is that is the case and admittedly with the caveat that depending on the kind of audit you run you 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 know you may not be able to do both of those things, but that is those are the dual aims generally of doing a post-election audit. And of course, taken together, those two things are help to your point to help bolster voter confidence in the integrity of the election results. Yeah. So this means that we are uh, counting the paper trails. Uh, but probably not not hundred percent of the paper trails, but a certain a certain share of that. Uh, what what should be the share? Is there some kind of a rule about that? Yeah. So that's an excellent question, Daniel. I would in an ideal world, you want to count as many ballots as you need to to validate the winners and validate the losers of a race. Right. If your goal is to do those things. So if the margin between two candidates is large, you may only need to audit a small number of ballots in the race because 
it may only require a small number of ballots to ensure that the winner is the winner and the loser is the loser. Mm-hmm. But if it's a really big race with a lot of votes and the margin is exceedingly slim, you very well could find yourself having to recount or audit a, a lot of the ballots. And yeah. depending on the political pressures you face, you may just decide that you want to recount all of the ballots in the interest of you know time, money, right? Next question is, who is doing that? Because uh, I've seen some audits that that are done by by the uh, polling station uh, staff, the the poll workers, the same the same personnel who did uh, the election. Uh, so here comes the question: Who is doing that? Where? Is can be this done? Can can it be done right after the election, uh, or it should be done after a certain period? Um, for example, now in Iraq they did something similar, like they uh, because they're using a uh, optical scanners, mm-hmm. so they were they were counting the the ballot papers in the polling stations immediately after they transmit the results. So what is the the best practice here? Who and where? Great questions, Daniel. I'll take them one at a time. I think you need people who are trained and knowledgeable about the election process to be involved in in the, the counting right of the audited ballots. And depending on the circumstances, that can be trained up poll workers. It could also be right other election administrators. Um, but you do need people who are overseeing the process who understand how election audits work. And that can be, right, um, it can be election administrators who have experience, significant experience administering elections. It could also be election experts, right, who of course have been brought in to help election management bodies audit elections in, in other places. The, the state of New Hampshire is a good example. They ran um, a, a, an election of a, uh, an audit of a town election earlier this year. And They, um, for that town election, they had a couple of um, well-known national experts that oversaw the process that had expertise in technology, statistics and administration that oversaw the process because they understood how to run an election audit, and the people that were counting the ballots, right, that were looking through and doing this sort of hands-on work were election administrators in other parts of New Hampshire Right, who had understanding of how to count the ballots, um, but hadn't been the ones involved in the actual administration of that town election. And they worked jointly together to conduct um, that successful audit. In terms of you know, when and where to do it, two other really good questions. Um, I'm inclined to have an audit that is done um, before the results have been certified, Right, you want to do it before they're certified, in my view, because that way, if in fact you catch any errors with the initial tabulation, you of course can fix them before the results are certified. Um, but I would, in an ideal world, want the audit to happen um, a little bit of time after the conclusion of election day, and that's simply because um, I think for two reasons: one is fatigue, uh, election workers. Uh, as well as administrators have been spending a long time throughout election day uh, doing the process. Um, and um, it is taxing on them just to administer election day 
let alone asking them to suddenly now go into a very time-intensive, detail-oriented process immediately thereafter. Um, um, but I think what you can do is, you know, after immediately after election day, you know, election officials and workers can make sure they have all the materials together. They can send the materials back to the election office. They can do things like make sure that the number of people that checked in to vote matched, right? The number of people that in fact casted ballots. And, and that process is called, I know of it as, a, as an election canvas. And once they do those canvassing procedures, which can take place over potentially some days, they can thereafter then do an election audit. Um, and again, the other that's not only helpful for the workers, but it also can be helpful for election observers too, some of whom have been observing an election process for an extensive period of time and may be exhausted. And so, you know, I think having a process run by people who are knowledgeable about administering and auditing the elections that's done not immediately after election night, but before the results are certified is, I think, ideal because it helps ensure that you have fresh election workers who are knowledgeable about the process, who are unlikely to make errors at, because of factors like fatigue. You mentioned that you need to have procedures. Once again, what do we need to have in those procedures for the audits? I, I think number one, you know, you should have procedures that are designated in advance of the election for how the audit's going to be conducted. Um, and those procedures, whether it's through legislation or through, you know, administrative rules, right, should lay out, right, when the audit is to begin, right, what portion of the ballots should be counted and whether that should hinge on, um, you know, the difference um, in the margin between candidates or something else. Uh, it should also lay out um, some minimum baselines for how, what kind of facility ought to be, this audit ought to be conducted in to ensure that the facility is sufficiently secure and how accessible, right, the, the audit ought to be to other people so that others can in fact see the process and we can have what amounts to a trust but verify mechanism. You know, to return to Wyndham, New Hampshire's audit earlier this year, they, they had they had the audit done, right? The procedures done well in advance. There was legislation that laid out how the audit was to be conducted, including who was to oversee it. Number two, um, they made the the audit was arranged in a secure facility, a facility that was secured by, um, right? That was sort of secured by folks who are very knowledgeable about how to make sure that all of the election materials um, were secured around the clock so that anyone that tried to had questions or tried to you know make false claims about the chain of custody of these materials could re be rebutted easily. The other piece of this in Winsett, New Hampshire was there were uh, ample opportunity, or there were ample mechanisms for how you could view the process. Um, this, of course, was this audit took place during COVID, uh, the coronavirus pandemic. So um, those who ran the audit made sure there was an area for folks to be able to view the proceedings in person in a socially distanced manner. But in addition, because of restrictions around that, there was an opportunity to to watch and see the results live streamed and see them up close to so the anyone who wanted to could see 
how the results, how the ballots were being reviewed, and they could see, right, who was reviewing them and how that was being done. Yeah. Furthermore, um, there was running commentary or written materials that outlined the procedures that were being done each day to validate the election results. And that included, among other things, who was auditing the election results so that, mm-hmm. you know, when New Hampshire election officials said, you know, we're having New Hampshire election administrators, right, reviewing the ballots, people could go to the website and they could see the names of the people that were doing it, what their affiliation was, and when they were administering the results. And so for those people that were might be concerned about any partisan allegiances, they could see that the, that the people that were doing it had expertise and that, you know, you had a situation where there were adequate checks and balances. Um, and finally, those auditing the elections, um, whenever there were mistakes made, for example, if the cameras went out when they were live streaming the, the audit, they would try and outline, right, why an outage occurred, what was done to fix it, right, and what was done to try and make sure there wouldn't be a recurrence of this issue, mm-hmm. along with affirmation from people at the audit that, in fact, right, the procedures had largely occurred along proper lines. And so, yeah. you know, these were efforts afoot to try and make sure that um, there weren't vulnerabilities associated with the audit. And so, um, you know, taken together, you know, the New Hampshire audit um, shows that if you put forth procedures in advance of the elections um, that are uh, undertaken by people with knowledge of the process, and that the process is open to the public, right? You do a, you, you're, you're doing a lot to withstand the scrutiny so that even if people try and question it after the, effect, after the fact, you are able to show people what in fact took place and that any criticisms folks have um, are, on, are on pretty weak footing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, finally, I would like to... Um... We to talk a little bit uh, about your uh, organization. This is the uh, Alliance for Securing uh, Democracy. This is uh, something like a GMF uh, program, something like that, right? What are you mm-hmm. doing there, Daniel? The, the the Alliance for Securing Democracy, as you as you pointed out, is a nonpartisan initiative that's housed within the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Um, and what the alliance does is focus on ways to help secure and strengthen democracy, particularly uh, in the face of the increasing assault on democracies, not only in the transatlantic community, right, which of course is what the German Marshall Fund focuses on, but on democracy across the world, right? We work with democracies across the globe to try and secure them from threats, both foreign and domestic. Um, And we bring together experts on matters as wide-ranging as um, economic coercion, malign finance, uh, information manipulation, and of course, election integrity to try and help um, uh, democracies um, grow stronger. And so, you know, we, I, I of course, in my work as the Elections Integrity Fellow, um, look at vulnerabilities um, in the elections process, not only with regards to election technology, but with regards to election law and election personnel as well. 
and try and work with democratic partners to make sure that they're ready, right, for the evolving uh, capabilities and threats posed by adversaries, whether or not it's Russia, China, Iran, um, or from actors within. David, thank you for being part of this podcast. Daniel, thank you. This was Votes and Ballots podcast. Thank you for listening and follow us on our profiles on Facebook and Twitter.